0: The Podfix Network. Hello and welcome to episode 289 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking, from indie film to studio films and everything in between, how to get them made, how to make them and how to try not to F it up. In our very, very humble opinion... I'm Charles Alderson, I'm a writer, director and a producer, and I'm delighted, delighted that we have on today, the cinematographer, Joanna Coelho. She is an absolute delight. Myself and fellow DP, not that I'm a DP, but fellow DP like Joanna is, uh, Andrew Roger joined us for this chat. And as you know, Andrew Roger is the DOP of The Dare, Arthur and Merlin, Confession, uh, Plebs, and he's an all-round great guy. So him chatting to Joanna was an absolute no-brainer. She, if you don't know, is the cinematographer of season four which has recently been released of ABC's The Rookie and she brought her creative unique approach uh, to those episodes and it's very impressive throughout her career uh, she has made documentaries, films, shorts, all sorts of work to get her to where she is now including Oxygen Networks, Killer Siblings and the films This Changes Everything and and there was Eve, which won the jury award at the LA Film Festival. She's worked with huge companies like ABC, uh, Mar Vista, Ricky Schroeder Productions, Experian, Hawaiian Tropics, and she consistently sets herself apart from the industry. Myself and Andrew had a brilliant chat with her describing what it's like and how many days prep you get. Uh, On a TV series like The Rookie, how many shoot days you get. She also talks about lookbooks, emotions in scenes, handling a set, and why you need to be honest if you don't know something. She talks about management and politics on set, dealing with it, the importance of saying you're a DP, not crew member, what LUTs she likes to use, what lenses and what cameras. It's a bit of a geek fest and I love that and you're going to love it. We dive deep into all sorts on this episode, mental health, what it's like, being a filmmaker and how difficult it can be sometimes. So wherever you are in your career, you are gonna really enjoy this episode. The Rookie is available now on ABC. I highly recommend it. It's one of those shows you can just immerse yourself in and fall into. Uh, and I think Joanna's work is exemplary and you will see that when you watch as well. I had an amazing chat yesterday with the studio head of Nubiana Film Studios. He works for Millennium Films. He's produced some huge blockbuster movies like Hellboy, like Angel Has Fallen, The Dead. What? Did you just put The Dare next to those amazing films? You did, you idiot. But he did. He was the exec producer on The Dare. And it's amazing to listen to him talk, you know, five years later about why he picked up The Dare and why he wanted to work with me. That is to come for you on a future episode. And tomorrow I'm doing a podcast recording with Craig Roberts. Yeah, right. That's right. The fantastic actor from Submarine and so many, so many other films. But it's also the director of Phantom of the Open. So two amazing episodes for you to look forward to. And, and shout out um, for Yarev's new company. It's called Filmforge. I said I would do this for him because in a week's time, he has his new courses available for you filmmakers at Filmforge.com in New Boyana Studios, in Bulgaria, and I tell you what, these studios are incredible. Uh, Johnny Grant, who was there, Julian Kostov, uh, Andy Roger, when we walked around, we all literally went, oh my god, it's a movie studio. And you can go there and learn how to make films, and at the end of it, you get to make a short film. The course is August the 15th to August the 19th, that's literally, it's less than a week away now. They're doing a makeup course, uh, where you learn how to be a makeup artist in the movie industry, professional hygiene, skin science, all that kind of stuff. Textures, makeup, coatings. Uh, And there's also a grip course where you learn the bones of the industry, the grip department, Uh, rigging behind the scenes. What really goes into camera rigs, how do you stabilize camera movement, how do you achieve specific camera angles and lighting rigs to achieve specific lighting techniques and effects. And also a wardrobe course as well. So this is from script to set how to break down the script, how to choose costumes, analyzing colors, uh, how to reflect on a character, uh, practical tips for set, things like that, and how you take care of costumes and the cast. Oh, and how a camera lens defines the shot. So you want to know more about that? Link to this is in the show notes. It's filmforge.org. It's not a necessarily cheap course, right? I mean, for considering film school, it's very, very cheap. But the amount you learn, I would say this is totally worth it. Uh, film Forge, a link to that is in the show notes. It is August the 15th to August the 19th. You want that, and I d- suggest you do. They're gonna have some other courses soon as well, and we'll shout those out for you. Oh, and shout out to Q Scripts as well. They're collaborators, uh, they're wonderful people, and they help screenwriters. They're a script analysis, so they provide detailed, constructive and professional reports on your shorts, features or TV scripts. I love them. Such wonderful people. So if you've got a script that's been developed and you need to hear it off the page. Yeah, QScript's going to arrange a read through. Three month membership is free. For a limited time and the annual membership is only £60 a year anyway and you get so much with that. More info, like I say, is in the middle of this week's app, but check out the link in the show notes. Cue scripts. And we have, and I'm sure you're dying to know this news, but we have delivered Three Day Millionaire to our UK distributors. (sighs) It's never easy doing that. It's never, never easy to deliver a feature film. There's so many little things that can go wrong, that go into it. And not everything's delivered. Um, there's a lot delivered, but there's still little bits and pieces, contracts, tiny little things that need to be tidied up. There's so much goes into that. We're going to do an episode on delivering movies and on it, uh, contracts coming up very soon. But congratulations to Jack Spring. Congratulations to Lucinda Rotacra, myself uh, and all the team involved, because, wow, wow artius uh, up in scotland you're legends thank you for delivering what you did jason peacock sound designer extraordinaire thank you thank you thank you for your work on this and it's ongoing i know uh, i appreciate you a lot so yeah that's enough for now let's get to it <laughs> uh, this is this week's episode with myself andrew roger and the fantastic cinematographer slash d.o.p joanna coelho How are you? I'm good. Ah, good. Nice to uh, nice to meet you. Same, yes. So listen, look, thank you so much for joining us. This is really cool. With something like The Rookie, do you, do you get all the scripts in one go? Because obviously when you come on board, you know, you're coming on to it when it's already in, they're already shooting stuff. So it's quite well in advance. When you get something like that, do you get all the scripts in one go to catch up? How do they do it on a, a show like that?
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, actually, we got the scripts pretty late in general, because I think, you know, the seasons are so back to back that they don't really have time to get ahead on the scripts mm-hmm. I was not part of season 3 but on season 3 I heard that they kept pushing the beginning of the shoot because of the pandemic mm-hmm. so they had time to write the script so they had all the script before shooting <laughs> oh write. luxuries but then when we started season 3 <laughs> <laughs> was nice no, but, yeah, yeah, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but when, when we shot uh, season 4 actually they just you know they didn't have time to like have all the scripts before so what happens in general is we have 7 days of prep and then we shoot for nine days and often we would not have the script on the first day of prep. Uh So, and sometimes it, it happened that it was more than one day late, you know, sometimes it was two, three days after. So yeah, you know, you just, you get a, a log line mm-hmm. in that case, yep. you know, and you still start looking for locations and, and some scenes, but you know, it's, it, you know, it, you, you walk around it and then you, you end up having the weird script, yeah.
0: You make it work, so, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Or you, yeah. you kind of <laughs> imagine what the script might be and... <laughs>
0: <laughs> By the locations you're at. There's probably some like, drama over here. The police will arrive here. Rookie will come in over there. Someone might get killed. That's the, yeah, That's it. I'll light it this way.
1: Done. <laughs> You get better and better at it through the seasons after shooting episodes. <laughs> yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah, yeah I could imagine. I could imagine. You said that, that it was seven yeah. days prep and then nine days shoot. Nine days.
1: That's great. Yeah. Yeah. We, it depends on the episode. Some episodes actually were shorter. Sometimes there were seven days because there would be special episodes. That, um, you know, that didn't require nine days of shooting. And sometimes we had even episodes that were 12 days, you know, that has happened as well. So because they were very heavy on action or, spe- or effects or, you know, so it really, really depended of the episode, but the base was always nine days.
2: Now, how many pages were you getting through a day roughly? It,
1: it depends. I would say when we had action, <laughs> uh-huh. like heavy actions, we were trying to stay on the five, but, uh, in we, a lot of time we had nine pages for time. Wow. stuff. Like this yeah what?
0: this is this is proper I, di- I didn't think it would be like that. I thought it because like indie films, you you do, you know, nine pages a day is, you know, you, you can, you can do it, but it's, it's quite tough. I, I'm quite amazed by that, that you shoot it in nine days each episode or at something like The Rookie. That surprises me actually.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that, yeah, they don't have the choice with the diffusion dates. I think, you know, it just has to keep going basically. Um, but the way we do it is then we do free cameras at the same time because there's so much coverage to get you're right mm-hmm. that we have permanently f- free cameras with us mm-hmm. and for some action scenes or stuff like that sometimes we get the fourth camera before you know like uh, that happens yeah um but yeah that's the only way you really go through it and the, the scripts were often around 60 pages i see for a 42 minutes episode so you do have a lot to shoot and then some things get cut but yeah that's often what happens. got you how
0: do you prep for three maybe even four cameras so let's say you're shooting a scene like the three of us, we're in a room and it's maybe dialogue heavy, and maybe someone comes in at some point. How do you prep to shoot that for three cameras? Would you light the whole room and then work out where the cameras go? Would you wait for the blocking? Talk us through that process.
1: In general, you know, when we start a scene and we have to place our three cameras, uh, we would think about the the A cam Mm -hmm. in general and just you know what do we want our master or more wide shot you know and then once we found that then what can we do with B and C and in general what we would do with B cam is we would start to get into the coverage a little bit which is hard for sound so we always you know try to compromise with sound that we're not too wide and too tight yeah Yeah. sound guys going really they don't like us (laughs) (laughs) Uh. (laughs) and there was many times you know where we just don't have the choice because you you have a certain amount of time to shoot that scene and there's that many this many characters and, you know, this many shots to get. And so we have sometimes to get wide and tight at the same time. So what we would do for a song is that do one take, but with the wide A cam, we just put it down for one take and they can get in, you know, for B and C. But yeah, B cam is often like, you know, playing uh, next to A as coverage, more tighter shots. And then C cam, we would often do, you know, it depends on the situation, but C-cam would often place it like as a more profile shot, you know, or like pre-quarter or raking shots. And that's how we we've been placing C or something that there's a big like insert moment or a detail that needs to be done in the scene. And that's what C-cam will get. It's often the more artistic shots that happen with cam Sure, C-cam, that makes a same. lot of
2: sense, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. How, how do you find lighting for, for three or four cameras as compared to, compared to one?
1: It's hard, it's actually really <laughs> hard. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's. I found a system for me that works in the way you don't want to compromise, right? It, it has to look good on the three cameras. I think you need to do a small compromise in the way that this, it's, there's two cameras that are going to look a little better than the third one. You know, it's they're just like when you have a 180 like this, you, that's just going to happen. I'm trying to stay under 180 mm-hmm. with my cameras and maybe more 90 so lighting stays really nice, you know. Uh, but yeah, you just have to find a system that it still looks good on all angles, but also understand that there's one or two angles that I look a little better than the other one. And that's just, that's just you, you're the only one who's going to notice it. Uh, that's you know? true. That's
2: true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> I think the audience doesn't see it too much.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Don't tell anyone that's a secret.
1: how do you put
0: your artistic touch on something like that? Like you just described there, you know what I mean? You want to put your cinematic look on that and i know with the rookie or a show like that you've kind of got to follow the format a little bit but obviously you want to bring your touch to it or an emotion to the scene through the lighting or through the cameras how do you go about trying to put something like that in especially by the sounds of it if you have no time as well uh, i imagine your team are amazing you've prepped and especially in a room it's like yeah, yeah no problem well, we can get all that lighting set up for you but it'd be really interesting to know how you managed to put your Magic touch on it.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're right. The crew is absolutely amazing, and they work so fast. And obviously, we have a rigging crew for gripping and electric, so everything can kind of be more or less ready when we arrive on set.
0: Great, oh, the luxuries.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you you don't have the choice. Otherwise, you would never have time to light. That's right, the problem. Right yeah so what i do in prep uh is i you know it's it's gonna sound very indie film but i do look books <laughs> for some scenes. oh yeah definitely Yeah, me too <laughs> for because there's specific scenes within an episode that you know are more moody or more dramatic or more romantic and this is where you want to kind of step up the look a little bit so there's a bit more emotions to that mm-hmm. moment so in prep often, I would find the right visual references and talk with the director and make sure we're all on the same page. And then when we would text out, you know, I would really uh, talk to the rigging gaffer and the rigging key grip and like make sure that we can get this atmosphere nailed down when we arrive on set. And then it's all about lighting the face and adding some things in the background and all that, right? So... So I think really for like the touch I could do is really the vision I, I, I so I had when I read the script for these scenes and pre-planning what I want them to look like because on set it goes so fast you don't have time to like overthink things you know it needs to be ready and then you know we go in and and then hopefully you know the the look is there and it's all about angles and foreground if you don't want to have more emotions is that a scene that you want to be wider and closer or is that a scene you want to be longer length and behind objects you know all of these things change the feeling of it and i think that's kind of something we try as much as we can to decide in the seven days of prep but sometimes it's on set as well yeah
0: right i love that you, obviously you, you've got your seven days of prep with the team but i take it you're doing your own prep as well as that so you did three or four episodes on the latest season of the rookie is that right
1: uh 11.
0: you did 11 episodes
1: yeah so there's 22 episodes on this on this last season and so i did all the events and there was another dp for all the odds episodes.
2: amazing was yeah. one thing i was gonna ask you I'm going to talk about myself for a second please do <laughs> but so, so i've just obviously just got here this i'm going there's been uh two blocks already shot so there's been what's that uh four episodes already shot and i've got the next two blocks to go um and for me i come in there was a conversation about uh, how how much am i sticking to the previous look and how much am i putting my sensibilities into it how do you work out you know, uh, how, how, how close is to stick to the previous look of the, of the show?
1: Yeah. Well, there was a huge discussion and collaboration with the other DPs, the uh, other DP, because we were both like new DPs for uh, this new season. So. You know, it was the the first DP hired. I was the second DP hired. And so we really talked together of what we wanted to change about the show.
2: Mm, okay. Because
1: I was already working a little bit on season two. I was a double-up DP back then. So they only had one main DP, and I was doing all the double-ups. And he was part of a little bit of season uh, three. He was doing some second units and other things. So we both knew the show. We both worked on it at different seasons. And... You know, we knew where it was at and what we wanted to change. So that's something we really uh, decided to talk about and change on set, on all the sets in Water You know, the, the, the lighting, how do we want to adjust, you know, what, what do we want it to look like? And that's something we talked with the showrunner as well, obviously, to make sure that's the direction he was happy to head in you can't change the show too much because it's already established for three seasons Mm -hmm. right and you, you have an audience that's been following it so but you can make it a little more cinematic and a little more you know emphasize on emotions like we were talking about right so so that's the little things you know and sometimes first it was like working with a d.i.t to have a lot, a little bit more cinematic, you know, mm-hmm. a bit more blue in the shadows and stuff like that, right? Or, you know, more colors in the lighting by night. So more sodium vapor in the police station and then, you know, and, and more contrast on colors, right? So little things like this that don't affect too much what has been established in the show, but elevate the show a little more and then shot wise as well, obviously, like we try to do more long lens, uh, you know, shooting for foreground and, and things like that, that make it a bit more uh, interesting, I would say.
2: Yeah. What are the things that you You kind of explained it, but what are the things that excite you about an image? What are the things that you bring to, to, to an image that's different from perhaps what's gone in the season beforehand?
1: I think, you know, it's, it's hard on a show like this to really answer this question because, in a way, we all put a little touch, but it's all one big thing at the big end, right? So Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So I don't want to do my own thing that it doesn't match with the next episode or anything like that. But I would say the, the, the other DP and me, we really focused on maybe being closer to the story, you know, and just more what was happening with the characters and feeling more like the bits. If it's more comedy, we go more comedy. And if it's more dramatic, we go more dramatic in the way we shoot it, you know? And yeah, I, I would say this is the little thing that we would try to care as like as much as we you know we can in the time we have. But we treat it as like our baby every single episode. So you know what I mean? And and I think that's how that's how you can really elevate the look as much as you can for the story. Yeah.
0: So you've got seven days prep and then nine days shoot. Do you then go straight into another seven days prep, nine days shoot? Then again, seven days prep, nine days. Show. How does it work on a show like this? Because you did 11 out of the 22 episodes, as did your fellow DP who was doing the other 11 out of 22. Was it a constant moving wheel?
1: We started shooting, we we, we, we started the season, so June, I think it was late June 2021. And we did two weeks of Prep for changing the stages, you know, it was like a general prep, like a right. soft prep, like talking about what we wanted to head in, etc. And then he was the first DP shooting, so then he went into a w- seven days of prep for his episode, and and me, I basically when he started shooting, then I went into my seven prep, a uh, seven days prep for my episode, etc. So when we start June 2021. It doesn't stop until April eighteenth, and that's what you have to. Wow! <laughs> so wow. basically, there's no you. Do, you finish a day shooting <laughs> the next day. You're in prep. Oh my and, gosh. You know, yeah. <laughs> so when I was falling on a, you know, when uh, I had a day sometimes that was kind of off just because i had a i don't know i had a seven days episode and he had a 10 days episode so then sometimes there was one day hold, I was like, yeah. <laughs> weekend time <laughs> <laughs> one day oh I'd you probably just slept <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah i mean everyone gets really tired but you know that's why everyone was really amazing because we go in 10 months you know, mm-hmm. it's a 10 month show and everyone, you know, is just at 100% the whole time. And, and we're so lucky on a show like that to have really an amazing like crew, but executives as well and showrunners. Everyone was so nice and the cast was absolutely delightful. You know, not, not annoying, not like divas or anything like that. And it's a lot of people. And so we're very lucky on a show like this because then you're happy to come to set and you enjoy each yes. other's and you like, you have to on a 10-month show, otherwise it's unbearable.
0: But Yes, supporting each other as well through those moments when exactly. someone is tired or grumpy or it's like, do you know what, someone will pull them up. I love that. How, what's the difference between that in your mind? You know, the on and off stage, it's sort of nine days of full on and then seven days of prep, nine days, even though prep is still full on, you can at least breathe. The difference between that and then when you made the feature film and then there was Eve where it's prep, film, finish for you what do you, do you prefer the tv so where you can it's like you're starting a little mini feature film again each time isn't it all right you know it's obviously it's not it's a tv show you know What what's the difference for you there between the two
1: you know it's funny because when you were saying that I get to relax a bit more in prep, I would say actually my prep was more intense than my shoot. on the
0: Really? Okay.
1: <laughs> I think I did more hours in prep than I was doing shooting. Why we, is that? we were very good at staying on the 12 on the uh-huh. set and we did between 10 and 12, I would say. And and on prep, it just, you don't have a lot of time to prep a lot of things. So I do just...
0: Seven days. You nice.
1: have meetings on meetings on meetings every day, and you do location scouts all over LA, everywhere, right? And then you have the tech scout with everyone. And sometimes you have something in Malibu and then Long Beach and then uh, Pomona, you know, and like... so. It's, so you just don't have time. So you on prep is basically kind of when you go home and you have a moment alone right because Mm -hmm. between all of this you don't really have time to sit down and and do your prep that's why I feel like my prep was more heavy than the shoot for me sometimes but yeah the difference with a feature film I would say is that I think the fact you know it's not 10 months (laughs) and yet (laughs) uh, you know like you on a feature film I I mean and then it was eve, I think we had two weeks of prep and three weeks of shoot and it's it's a small amount of time and you have so much adrenaline during that time, you know, that uh you don't feel it the same way, I guess, because it's shorter. And I had the same adrenaline on the rookie, but because it's such on a long period of time that d- you can't keep the adrenaline the whole way. It's impossible. You would crash. You know? <laughs> so,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So you can give like um I don't know how to express it, but basically it it doesn't feel like as long and heavy on a feature because it's a shorter time and you know that the feature would be months it would be a very different experience as well I think you know
0: yes for those people who do the the huge big movies and they're on them for nine months it must get very draining it must be really like relentless slog those people on Lord of the Rings God knows how they felt doing three years even longer sometimes on it but then you with this wonderful family and you know you find your tribe within that family and you have an amazing time Speaking of tribes, do you get to pick your crew on something like The Rookie or are people already in place already?
1: So some people were already in place that were here the previous seasons and it just makes sense to keep them, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, and then with the DP, we kind of share a little bit the crew. So he brought some people on and I brought some people on. And so we had a little bit of, you know, us because we share the crew, right? So,
0: what, so, what, so were they constant then so they didn't get the seven days prep on the next one they were just shooting that's correct
1: <laughs> yeah so he brought a and b cam and i brought c cam for example right so i brought the the camera operator for c cam and the two assistant camera for c cam and he brought all these people for a and b and that's how we share basically so it's nice kind of to see you know we are you know when we alternate some people are from me some people are from him but we share the crew so it, it was kind of amazing because then i got to know his crew and he got mm. to know my crew you know and then just, it's just one big family and the funny uh, thing is that the crew was always saying they were always happy that it would switch DP because they always get annoyed with one and then they're happy <laughs> to see the other one and then they get annoyed with that one and then they're happy to see the other Come one back again
0: <laughs> you get nine days respite isn't it right oh thank god that one's gone for a bit oh we got this new oh thank god they're gone. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sure it was still lovely you see the way you talk about it and the way you smile when you talk about it is only really positive it means that you know you had a great time and your crew obviously did too. You know, and also I think with, with TV, you you are in the parameters of that world. Like you say, it's very unlikely to go over. It's very, you know, everything is done by the book, if you like. This is how we're making this show. And as long as everyone's on board and working as hard as they can and making it right, then, yeah, you're creating something. And that that must feel great, right? How do you go from you know, uh, indie films and coming in on TV shows as a DP or maybe just the odd episode here and there to, you know, making 11 out of 22 on a a season uh, on The Rookie. How did you get that? How did that happen?
1: You know, it's funny. I think, you know, it's, there must be a part of luck in all of this when you think about it. I mean, Mm -hmm. I worked really hard and, you know, I I busted my ass in the indie film and to get there. But uh, one day I just got an interview. So I had just turned union, the month before actually as a dp which was a really fast turnaround for me and i I got all my hours and it was big process to get that done with contract services and all of that but that happened and uh, i turned union and the next month i got an interview to be a double up dp on season two of the rookie A,
0: a what dp sorry
1: Sorry, so double up is basically we overlap episodes. That's something actually I didn't say yet. But right, okay. So the first day of an episode is also the la- the last day of one. So sometimes, so the other DP and me, we would overlap episodes sometimes for one day, I see. all the time. Yeah. Okay. So on season two, there was only one main DP, and so they would only bring another DP on the day that overlaps. So that's why you call it double up DP. So that's what I did on season two. I did all the day overlapping mm-hmm. and the second units, basically. So when I, I got the interview, I think they were I know they were just interviewing woman DPs, to be honest. I mm-hmm. that's something. And so I think we were seven or eight. I don't I don't know exactly, but uh the interview went pretty well and and they, I think they called me the next day and they were like, can you come tomorrow? <laughs> I, uh, I got I- very overwhelmed because just when I went to do the interview on set, they were on location and I saw all these trucks and this gigantic catering. And I was like, I don't <laughs> think I'm in the right place. <laughs> <laughs> I got a bit scared to be honest. <laughs> I, I got a bit scared. And then when I got the call, I was like, I don't know if I should take it because I think they're gonna make fun of me. Oh. You know? <laughs> no, was that what you thought? Well, i had no idea to handle a set like this i've always been operating myself you know more on mm. indie project and suddenly you have free cameras you know y- huge locations and you know rigging crews and like i i you know i hadn't done that before and you only know how to do it when you do it you know, that's right, just not right? Yep. Yep. so yeah. that was you know my first time for me and you know luckily i ended up saying yes and i was shadowing the main dp for a day and then the next monday i was on you know (laughs) and it went well
0: well it did go well obviously but how did you get over that fear which is frightening for so many people and it puts people off making films in the first place everyone talks i'm going to make a film one day i'm going to do this one day and that fear is so big and so frightening. How did you overcome that? And what did you do on those days to feel like you could say where you wanted the lights to be, or where the rigors are going to put stuff? How, how did you overcome it?
1: Yeah, well, first, I definitely didn't sleep the two nights before it. So I was already tired. <laughs> <laughs> Which doesn't help. <laughs> to <Just> stress out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I have a policy in me. And like, I hate when people lie about something or pretend they know something that they don't. I think mm. for me, it's the worst fix you can do. The best thing you can do is just to be honest and say, I don't know this, nice. I don't know that. tell me what <laughs> it is, right? So obviously, when I arrive on a set like this, there's, a, there's things and tools that I ha- didn't know yet, you know, as a DP. And I always ask questions and I'm like, I haven't used that before. What is it for? You know, and if you just go straightforward, people won't judge you. They'll actually be happy to answer you and to teach you something, Mm. believe it or not. Yes. So, so, and I think I really try to not take too much space as well at the beginning in the way uh, I was coming in kind of as a guest DP just to make a set function, but the crew, they know what they're doing. They've done that for weeks, months, you know, Mm. so I'm just coming, coming here to manage basically. So I would be like, okay, well, I think we should do it like this. You know, how do you do it normally? You know, I was checking, like, how does it work? Like on the show, et cetera. So making sure we were respecting the thing. And then I would just add things that I feel with my eyes that were not right and switch it and all of this. And that's kind of, I got more and more confident to give more notes and change a few things. And that's how, that's how I started to do it. But working with the director, you know, she had a precise shot list so we went with her shortly because she was already shooting her episode, you know, like mm. I didn't have any prep. So, so it's more like it's a lot of management and it's all about keeping you cool, you know, and you're repeating if you people did not understand, but always being calm. And I don't know, I think it's, I didn't realize being a DP would be so much management, honestly, but it's, it's definitely.
2: I was going to ask you about that. Cause that's, that's one thing I've noticed that the bigger projects, suddenly you're doing way more management than you are art or like operating cameras or it becomes way more about managing a team. How, how did you find that transition?
1: I mean, I think like I didn't know I especially had it in me, I guess. But again, it's one of the situations until you do it, you don't know, right? So luckily, like I love people and I love being around people. And it's basically making sure things are moving, you know, and that things are, people are communicating and, and, you know, that if something is not right, that you fix it and you make sure you, you're the one stepping in to fix it because that's you, the head of the department, you know, and anything going inside the department is your responsibility. So you always say, no, I have them to do that or I wanted that. So if you have an issue, you come talk to me. And that's also I handle with the producers, et cetera. I think it's something that people should know when they get into this job, that it's not only been, at least like, Definitely 50% of having good eyes and knowing what you want, but it's 50% of management and politics. And (laughs) I don't think it's, I, you know, I did the American Film Institute and I was not taught that at all. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So I think, you know, this is where by watching it or being put in the situation, you understand and realize like how much management you have to do. And I agree with you, Andrew, like I absolutely. I felt like on the rookie, I, that's mostly what I did. Like on this season, season four, like it was a lot of management. Mostly. Sure. Yeah,
2: I can relate.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> but it's part of the thing. Yeah. yeah. It's but yeah,
2: I guess it's part of it.
0: Oh, what's that? It's music in the middle of the podcast. I can only mean one thing. It's sponsorship time. We are delighted to be sponsored by Q Scripts. Uh, it's a script analysis service annual membership package costs only 60 pounds a year it includes monthly webinar and q a sessions with industry professionals including commission writers producers and directors you get a discount on all services offered by q scripts and access to a 36 page quarterly industry magazine brimming with useful content industry insights and interviews with writers plus free entry into the monthly prize draw with a chance to win a free detailed script report. Check out QScripts.com. Link for ease. To make it easier for you, so you don't have to type it in, is in the show notes. Just scroll down, click on it. There it is. QScripts.com.
2: How how do you pick your crews? What what, what do you look for in your in your um, focus builders and, and operators?
1: I think I, I you know I try to pick people that are really creative, actually. Because for me, the best ideas, they come from talking and discussing, you know, I don't feel like the best ideas always come from me at all. Like, I think it's like someone suggests something like that's a great idea. Let's do it. You know, I I like people that, you know, also like, Okay, I love people that have great ideas. And it's also a balance of not too many cooks in the kitchen. Right. That's very Mm -hmm. important because it can get very overwhelming on set as well. So it's these people that have great ideas. And often I would go to them and I would be like, what do you think? Do you have an idea for here?" And then they would say, yes, you know. Or if they feel there's like a moment of pause and no one has an idea and that's something, you know, that needs to happen, they'll come to me and they'll be like, what about we do this? And then I'm like, she just had a great idea. Let's do what she said, you know? Great. And like, <laughs> giving credit is very important because mm. it shows that people are participating and that they're excited about the project as well. So I think it's like, you know, the, the, the crew also needs to be very respectful. I had issues, maybe as a woman DP, you know, on set with some people we had to let go because they just couldn't wow. couldn't handle the fact that it was a woman, <laughs> That's right. so I got in that situation a few times.
0: How did you handle those? It sounds like you handled it well, but how, because th- there's nothing worse, you know, there's no, no place for it in filmmaking these days, and it's great that, you know, they weren't on set anymore. How did you handle it at the time? Because it can be daunting, you know. It can be difficult to approach. It can be difficult to stand up to things like that, especially if you're mild-mannered and you're not a shouter. It, it can be difficult. and No one wants a shouter anyway, but it, it can be difficult. What was your process there? How did you handle it?
1: You know, it's situations by situations, I would say. I, I'll i tell you what, like when there's an issue happening and it's, it feels awful in general, you know, but the first thing I do is I try to handle it myself. So I go to talk to the person. I take Mm -hmm. them on the side, like, you know, so it's personal, you know, and then I'm just saying, why, why, what is happening? Like, why are you acting like this? Is there something wrong? You know, is there something, you know, that you don't like my behavior and like, and I try to talk it out. And I mean, you know, I don't, I don't want to go too much in detail for some things, but like in a project I did recently, like I had an issue with a camera operator and he, he. You know he just couldn't he couldn't listen to what i was trying to do as a dp and i there was many warnings and i tried to handle it myself many times and it was really really hard on set and Mm. you know i had to go to the executive and it had to be handled differently and you know then we got an amazing crew after that but you know it just like it's hard because you you earn your spot here Mm -hmm. and it goes well with everyone else you know it's like i don't think it's me because it goes well with absolutely everyone else it's a person that just decided that i don't deserve to be above them you know and and that becomes an issue on the respect and on you know collaboration just even collaboration they refuse to collaborate and they just want to do what they want and that's it and yeah, it's difficult and it's really heartbreaking. And I had really, really tough situations on set with that. But
0: mm, sorry to hear that. Yeah,
1: don't let like I know it happens to a lot of people. And I have a lot of friends that talked that uh, I talked about it with. And you just can't let it go. It's important that it's fixed. You know, either you talk to the person and you fix it together. And if it really comes to an end, it doesn't, you can just let it go because they'll keep doing it. And I can't work like this personally. Mm.
0: (laughs) No, absolutely right. Yeah, um, and well done for being brave and actually, you know, going up to them because a lot of people wouldn't, they'd hide. Um, And it's great that you straight away went, hey, let's talk about this. There's obviously something going on here. Great, because it's really important to do that as a leader and as a cinematographer on set, you are a leader on set, as well as a director, as well as a producer. And you do have to lead from the front. Uh, and that's really important.
2: You don't have to answer this if you don't want I, I, It's an observation I've noticed. I've, I've noticed that maybe it's just a UK thing, but there's a, a willingness to give, people, to give men the benefit of the doubt and sort of, you know, uh, hmm. this person's a little sexist. But, you know, until they do anything, we're not going to do anything about it. But if anything happens, then we'll have you met that as an attitude?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, not even stories that are mine, but stories that I know that there's been many times things reported of, you know, even like men, DPs that don't behave correctly with their crew, you know, mm-hmm. and they just let it go because they just don't want to replace him. And you know. so, yeah, I think, I think they have too much benefit of the doubt sometimes. And hopefully this is changing, you know, I mm-hmm. think, I think sometimes, and again, like I think, things are going like in the good sense in the way it gets better right but um i think women have less wrench to be annoying to people in the way like if a woman was doing something wrong that replace her much faster than sure that, you know? i've seen it yeah mm. sure yeah <laughs> You know, like we had to prove a little more and be more square.
0: Yeah, yeah it's sad. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's that's the truth of it. Things are changing, which is amazing in the industry. It's a huge shift. The whole Me Too movement did change everything. The fact that people are wanting female DPs now, female directors. It's changing instantly. Female producers, you know, some projects won't happen unless they have these in place. That's brilliant. That's brilliant for our industry because it does get rid of those Neanderthals, I suppose, who like you say, look down on women and said, I don't want to be talked to by a woman, tell me what to do because I've been in the industry 60 years or whatever. It's ridiculous. It's so backwards and it does need changing. And like you said, a lot of the times it does. And the producers are stepping up now and saying, sorry, you've got to go. Can't talk like that to people. You can't behave like that. And that's fantastic.
1: But you know, the funny thing is that some, I got into a situation, you know, like, uh, like where people are you know on you because you, they don't like the fact that you're a woman or something and they've been woman like i had problem with woman for right. being a woman so mm. it's not only the man it's also mm-hmm. like it's woman that have been in the industry for so long that they feel protected by the man and if there's another woman coming collaborate with them they get scared and they're like she can do it i've been there so long it's always been men like she can do it you know what i mean and, and mm. i've seen it multiple times and it does not has always been then me yeah mm.
0: how do you choose what camera to use now is this a discussion you have with the director and the team or have you got preferred cameras you like and lenses it'd be really interesting to talk a little bit about that side of stuff
1: so i think there's always a part of budget first depending on the project right okay. because there's some cameras you can or can't afford so that's already off the list But there's also the type of project it is. Like if it's a documentary, you're gonna want a very versatile camera with accessible buttons because you're gonna be by yourself running around and you know, Mm -hmm. and it's to be comfortable and light and all of that. If you shoot a movie that's like a short film or a feature that's in a small space in corners, you want a camera where you can back on the sink or (laughs) against Mm -hmm. the wall or, so you need something very compact, right? If you have like, you know, heavy action with you know you need long zooms you don't want a small body you want something a bit more like you know uh, junky. junky yeah, yeah basically yeah. so it can handle <laughs> the lenses and like so it's it really depends of what it is like i know a lot of people actually buy their own equipment and uh first i i never wanted to because i've actually shot with just different cameras and stuff and i don't think it would be beneficial for me um
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know i mean i do shoot a lot with the alexa mini and okay. I know it's a yep. popular camera. Uh, I like it a lot personally, but you know, right now I'm, I'm going to do a feature film, um, in Chicago starting next week and I, I'm going to shoot with the Komodo. And I actually haven't shot with it yet, but mm-hmm. it's practical because it's good. first it fits with our budget, and then you know it's uh, very compact, and yes. we have small spaces, and easy to even do cool shots just in your hands and move it around because it's light enough, and you know it's just stuff like that. So
0: and uh, talk us a bit, the two of you, it'd be really. We <laughs> often don't talk about cameras enough on this show. Uh, why you you know you prefer like smaller cameras, like on, on the Dare, when we were doing in the small rooms, Andy, we often shot, you know, with the the mini, just because we wanted that, so you can get right in the corners. And then on Arthur and Merlin, we we shot on Black Magic because we were outside a lot, and we had to, again, in castles, and it, it was good for low light, because we had no lights on Arthur and Merlin. Well, it'd be good for you, i would be really interested to talk about cameras a little bit, um, and you can name them and talk through, you know, lenses. I'd love it. <laughs> can, can I ask you, yeah, go more specific... What kind of lenses do you like? There we go, there's a question.
2: <laughs> do you like vintage lenses? Do you like modern ones or is it really about the project?
1: I think it really is about the project, but I do have a slight preference for vintage <laughs> lenses.
0: Why? <laughs> why is why is that? Geek me out. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean I just think I love, you know, the 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 out of focus on it first, you know, and the bokeh, but also like the the colors and the texture on face and I just, you know, there's something about it that just more cinematic it's too sharp on other lenses i feel like you know it's like then you have to stack diffusions in (laughs) yes (laughs) yes
2: do do you think part of that comes from you know cinema being considered something from the 80s and 90s like like a film thing do you think Mm -hmm. think that's part of the look being older technology
1: you know i it's funny because i'm not especially a 80s 90s movies person like i actually like new movies you know and but I feel like even with new Moonies, we still use nice vintage lenses and it's just like um
0: scratch them up. Yeah. It's like
1: for me it's the mix of like the evolution of the technology and digital and all of that and that nice old lens on it, you know, and it just gives you this impressive image, but it's still like there's a texture to it and it's like, you know, I'm not I mean I, I don't know how to explain it. It's like, you can tell sometimes it's like way too sharp everywhere. And for me, I don't even know where to look. You know, I mean, I don't know if that, that does that to you. It's, and it doesn't, sometimes the lens also shape the light. You know, if there's a bit of vignette and all these things, like it's your eyes focus more where you want. And I don't know. It's, I'm still, no, I'm I feel you. like I'm still yeah. discovering all the lenses. There's so many, right. But sure. um yeah, I, you know, I haven't shot, I shot uh, anamorphic, I think three times and I haven't done long projects with Anamorphics yet. And that's something that I want to get into because I didn't get a chance to really explore them as well. So yeah, so, so much to
2: Similar, but I'd done commercials and things on Anamorphic, but I just, just did a film, all Anamorphic, um, feature film. And yeah, you, they're, they're weird and very different.
0: <laughs> I love cameras and I love the feel of them and I love watching DPs work with them and whereas me as a director will talk to the DP is about what I would like. It's basically, look, my this, this is my vision. We've obviously talked about it way before. And then I love that, so will then put their vision onto that and go okay well how about if i do this how about if i do that when picking cameras and lenses then like you say it's per job and it's per what the feeling is but let's say for some of the job you want to be in a small space but yet yeah, the, the other part of the filming you want the long lens how do you then manage to go okay well now i need something in the middle or i need two how do you plan for that how do you make that work
1: well i do think there's situations where you do get the camera that you mostly need for the shoot and then you just have a day where you get the other camera for specific things if you need to you know right okay um if it's half and half then you just need to find something that's good for both you know and and that's Mm. you know this is i think the alexa mini is great for both for example you know (laughs) like that's this is why i work mostly with this camera uh it's because i think it just does so many situations but, you know, sometimes, sometimes you don't have the budget for, uh, if you need two, two cameras, like on the feature I'm going to do, like, then we couldn't get two Alexa Minis for the price we have. So, so then you go with something else. And sometimes also, you know, there's limitation. I mean, they just came out with the Super 45 uh, Alexa now, right? Mm-hmm. But, um, the 45, but I don't remember exactly, but I think, you know, there's on the, I don't think he was doing true 4K. So sometimes if you need a true 4K, then that was an issue. You couldn't use the Alexa because if it was for Netflix, yes. right? There was yeah. this stuff mm. like that. That, And then if you need like a high frame rate, you know, in a certain resolution as well for a lot of scenes on your film, then there's cameras that are better than others for that. You know, there's limitation on every camera. So I think that's what you look at. But yeah. Yeah. But I think the Alexa Mini is the middle bench for everything for me. Yeah.
2: Have you worked with the uh, Alexa Mini LF at all?
1: Not the LF. No, not yet.
2: What's the difference? So the uh, so there's the Mini, which is the normal Super 35 chip, um, and then the uh, the LF is like two chips stuck together, so you get like a bigger image basically, which brings it over the 4K. Resolution, so you can actually shoot on alexis for Netflix delivery and stuff like that. But as um, as Joanna says, it, the camera can shoot 4K, but it can't do high frame rates So if you want to do slow motion, like in my film where people fall out of airplanes and things, um, you, <laughs> you then have maybe. to get the big one, which is a huge, heavy, like massive, heavy camera, um, just to do the slow motion bits. So it's always a it's a blend of of what's possible and 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 yeah,
1: mm. yeah. Yeah, and no, so the lenses, right? I mean, you you were mentioning the LF, but because it can do full frame so then you can use full frame lenses and and so it depends you know i mean i haven't like i haven't worked so much with full frame lenses i feel like i mostly use super 45 lenses but it's also a different type of lenses and you cannot get you can't really adapt one to the other with a full frame sensor so so there's a it actually is getting very complicated honestly to me like (laughs) i'm just looking at all these things coming out and i'm like oh my god (laughs) i'm never gonna be able to keep up (laughs) yeah i was gonna say how do you
0: stay on how do you stay on top of it because there is always new stuff coming out and you've got to kind of know all this or at least be aware of it whereas me as a director i don't i go well that looks pretty or you tell me you know i'm i'm obviously learning and i love learning about them but i'm it's it's not i'm not technical enough but how do you do that? How do you manage the pair of you um, to sort of go? <laughs> the new cameras are out, and there's this. Is it constantly reading up about them? Is it watching the videos about them and seeing if it work for you?
1: Honestly, I'm not too much of a gear geek, so and I should be more. To be honest, just it just you know.
0: No, no, I'm uh, no. not
1: reading the magazines <laughs> no, like. You don't have to be. <laughs> But in general, for me, it's like when I need something for a project, I look for it. And that's how I discover a lot about gear. Or people talk to me about things. This is really like, you know, when we talk, did you see that coming out? And people teach me actually of oh, things coming out and stuff. Mm. But it's rare that I do it, except if I need it for something. You know, that's kind of how I function. This is why like, when everything comes out at the same time, I'm like, okay, this is going to be too much to catch up on. (laughs) Way
0: too much. Yeah, Yeah. it's almost like if you were to buy a camera, as soon as you buy it, It's like the new one's out already or there's a problem with that one and they were testing it, you know, all these type of things. I remember when people were buying cameras. Now we, you know, luckily we're in budget ranges where we can hire the cameras, which makes such a big difference, you know, than having to get DP with the latest camera or whatever to shoot stuff. I, I yeah i find i find all that really uh, it just just must be really tough for you guys to be on top of all that
2: if you go back to episode one of the filmmakers podcast you'll <laughs> if <laughs> if you recall that,
0: find it if you can
2: find it you'll recall that i was like yeah i'm completely the same but cameras are boring like I'm bored by all of that technology it's, it's it's great and it's wonderful to have but it's not really what filmmaking is about it's not what makes it makes us as artists like make good things it, cameras have been good enough for 50 years you know and there will always be something new and it, may, it means you can do a new thing but really the, it's important to focus on image making and yeah use the tools you have but i don't I, th- I think there's so much new kit coming out all the time especially in like the more consumer kind of end that you can get so tied up in it whereas really yeah it's, it's about the craft maybe i don't know
1: i love how you said that honestly because i think like DPs are, I hear so many DPs that are like, no, I, you can do this because this camera and this yeah. lenses. And you know, I've seen horrible footage shot on the best equipment ever. <laughs>
2: oh, you see my showroom, <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> i was gonna say oh, got yeah. in there before you just yeah. like, sorry jenna carry on please and i've seen like the best footage shot on a canon 5d mark free on the guy reel, right. and i was like what did you yeah. shoot on?" he was like my mark free like baking button. <sighs> <laughs> you know, so right. i'm just saying it's just about how huge ch- you use the equipment and mm. people get lost you're right and you get lost in the technology too much and yes and you know i'm sure the technology helps what you vision and mm. people go reverse they're like i want to use these tools and i want to use this camera and then they force it on the project and whenever one when, they might not even need that you know it just <laughs> that they are tools
0: <laughs> yeah they're tools they're there to help you go well actually it'd be better to shoot on this because we're doing da, da, da. but actually once you're there you you could probably shoot on the iphone i'm not saying you would but you yeah, could because you should yeah you should yeah you've got the vision you've got the eye to go okay well it's all about composition here i can still light it i can still put you know director can put his actors where they want and i can then tweak right it's it's about the vision and for you guys i suppose and that's where you must come alive and the the challenges and the magic if you walked into a set that was already lit for you you're like all oh, right okay well No, that would be very nice. I'll take that.
1: (laughs) 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 I'll go to crafty if I want crafty. Yeah, yeah, I did
0: that. (laughs) Cheers, guys. I'll take credit for that. No problem. Oh, mate, it's on the showreel. It's going to be on (laughs) the Andy's (laughs) showreel.
1: I'm actually curious, Andy, if you use filters, because that's something... I can do. I couldn't do that on the show because they don't like anything baked in, right? But I use a lot on indie project like filters in camera for colors and stuff. And I,
2: like, I I do. What what kind of filters do you, do you like?
1: I mean, it depends how crazy I can get, you know. Uh-huh. But sometimes I go like I just stack them up together and I do like antique suede and then I, with tobacco and like oh. you know I don't
2: know like stuff. <laughs> no, yeah, for, for sure.
1: Yeah, sometimes
2: I like to do that. Yeah, but I got I got really into um, Hollywood black magic filters.
1: Yeah. I loved it. That's the one we use on the rookie.
2: Yeah, Ah, I mean, they're the, like most expensive, but they're great. But they're like, a, I think they're a combination of, um, I forget, but like the two different filters together, aren't they? There.
1: It's so another like the black promised because that's <laughs> actually the, I normally use the black promised on my on my films. The yeah. Hollywood black Magics just look better on our lenses for the rookie. But you're right. I think it's that and it's glimmer. No, it's not it's, glimmer. It's,
2: it's something. Yeah, it's like a glimmer glass, isn't it? It's like two different filters together. It's yeah. something low con or something. Yeah, yeah. I got really into those and. And and it's what you're saying earlier. It's, you know, modern cameras are so sharp... You don't necessarily want all that detail. Um, and, and have just having a, something that just kind of smooths it all out. But I got into making my own diffusion filters as well. I don't know if you've got oh, into nice. that.
1: What, what, how are you making them? It's really easy.
2: So I, I shot a film called Confession a couple of years ago, and I couldn't quite get the diffusion I wanted. But I, I, I learned that if you get like a clear UV filter, like a, just a screw-in one, or even like a 4x4 four four square optical flat, and you get a spray can of black, just black paint, you kind of like... Missed it in the air and then wave the the filter wow. through it you end up with like little dots on it which oh. is what a diffusion filter is and you can like play with it and get different things and so I've got this diffusion on that film and when I'd finished shooting it I smashed the filter so no one else could use it <laughs> So
0: like mine. That mine. <laughs> the end of Titanic when she drops the, the necklace into it's the just
2: water, like that. or like when Hendrix burnt his guitar. But <laughs> exactly obviously, like, like that, much, much less consultros.
1: Should take your mic and just drop it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like way less yeah. <laughs> It's
2: just as important. Um, yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. Diffusion. Is, is my current like big flex but yeah I, I, it's interesting there was a whole thing a few years ago of people stopped using diffusion because the idea was you could do it all in post but actually i think i think the more you can do in camera the better image you get how, how do you feel about that how much how much do you save for the di and how much do you like to get done on set
1: i mean again it depends of the projects because, like a TV show like The Rookie, they won't let you back things in camera too much, nice. which I totally understand. You know, there's like so many people checking the colors after. But what happens is, generally, if you don't use what you need in camera, so many, so many times, there's actually no time for colors. So what happens is that you never get to the look you wanted on set, like. I try to do that for short films of things where there's no turnaround or something and you know they like they're probably not gonna have a color session or it's not gonna be colorist or right. something. So I'm just right. trying to make as much as I can in camera, you know. Sure. So no like so it's there and <laughs> the look is respected, you know. But you know, I, I appreciate when I am more chill on the filters when I know I have a real color correction sessions later and all of that. And for but, for
2: yeah. the rookie, did you get to go to the, the DI on that or, or was that
0: so people know that means grade room, right? Is that what you mean So I'm just being very cool. So yeah, um, the the grading, the grading session. The
2: grading grading session. Yeah, Yeah. good. Thank you. I say
1: color correction. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, so, you know, just because we're constantly in prep and and shooting, uh, what happens in general is that they send us uh, a file uh, via just internet, right? And then we, we just, like on our own time, hopefully it's when we prep, but sometimes it's when we shoot, on our own time after set or during prep, we just review the file and we give notes by email, and uh, we have one one round for this, and then you just cross finger and see if they. Use it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then put it, oh, wow! I'm telling you. And but uh,
1: you're the first of many people after you for notes. But you know, to be honest, actually, I I would say like a lot of times I respected like the look and the lot because we had a DIT on set, so the the lot we would make already had a great base for colors mm-hmm. you know and then notes m- most of the time were taken so that was that. right yeah.
2: do you like grain how do you feel about grain in an image
1: <laughs> I, I do like grain actually right. i think it's great <laughs> i think you know it's all about the levers of grain you put in there uh-huh. as well
0: yeah because ah, andy's literally maybe the reason why he's asking that because we're grading three-day millionaire right now and uh, andy asked for more grain and i saw before and after and i much prefer preferred the after with the grain on it just looked it's nice right it makes it alive it, it, it did look really lovely like I say it's that whole thing with grain some people do and some people don't but i think you really like it because you also don't like your lenses too sharp so therefore that bit of grain on adds to the texture
1: i like texture um, i like photographic
0: yeah. things you're the same
1: yeah love texture and, mm. if, and if it's not with your camera it needs to be on set Something yes. else, you know, like walls, curtains, atmosphere, I don't know, but
0: yeah. The, the foreground stuff. Yeah. That's interesting. Talking about that, before we come to your next question, Andy, is is the set. Like you say, you, you're working with the production designer right now, but that's really important because if you've got a certain look, you you then don't want your um, set designers so or production designer, to come in with a totally different curtains or picture on the wall or you know whatever it is it's suddenly you go whoa no that's not my design so are you constantly in touch with them about what you want and about working together to make sure you you're all on the same page
1: absolutely and that's something we also did on the rookie we were comp- in a complete like constant communication with the production designer Mm. and we would exchange she would show us you know what she was aiming for and I would show her the visual references I had to make sure we could find a collaboration there you know so Uh, could you
0: give some advice that obviously you've given loads here but on someone who was you know, wanting to be a cinematographer DP or they're they're just starting on their journey? Is there anything you've learned along the way that you think, I wish someone had told me that?
1: You know, I think the mistakes I did at the beginning when I came here is that I let people tell me what to do and I stopped trusting my eyes. So I had an idea, but I was too shy to communicate it because some people told me what to do instead. And my advice would be, if you have a vision and you see something, like, just trust your eyes. It's probably a good idea, you know, and then just try to place it and collaborate instead of just letting people telling you what to do all the time. You know, it's, it's very important to trust your eyes and trust that you probably have a good gut feeling because if you want to be a cinematographer, then you're going to be more, um, the visual teller you know that's really where you're going to be so
0: yeah i love that that's wonderful that was beautiful what a great great bit of advice the visual teller that's really cool (laughs) listen uh, joanna thank you so much for your time this has been really fun really enjoyable chat Thank you so much.
1: Thank you for having me. I was yeah, it's been really fun. Very really nice to yeah. meet
0: you both. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so you listen, you can uh, follow your dreams, and you can be a cinematographer. You can be a director. You can make your own shows. You can do it. Believe in yourself and get to the top. And when you get there, if you're lucky enough. Uh, to get to the top then do send the elevator back down for everyone else Uh, we will see you next Tuesday as always you're all superstars you're amazing for listening we love you so much if you want to support even further then go to our Patreon page Um, if you want to support even further than that go to iTunes and give us a 5 star review because we we haven't had one for a week so why not we'd love that Uh, Janet Coelho thank you so much
1: thank you so much for having me (laughs)
0: pleasure Andy Roger thank you for joining us from your hovel in Bristol love you (laughs) i love you take care go make your films go be a filmmaker make it happen bye Bye. Bye. Bye.
2: (laughs) thank you for tuning in to the filmmakers podcast today if you'd like to support our ongoing efforts to bring the filmmaking world to life have a look at our patreon page